it's, it's interesting, we'll get to Dave a bit later, um, that in, as we were looking at uh, the, uh, this Easter series, uh, these, uh, these messages, that the first one would be on the mess, and the mess is sin, and I'm the preacher. And my reasoning is, because I'm the oldest on team, preaching team, therefore I probably know the most about sin. Okay. Now, think about that as you wish. And I, this is not a time of confession today, necessarily, um, but I, I do pray that God's going to um, uh, speak in spite of me. So we're talking about the mess, then um, through the Easter weekend, uh, looking at the miracle, the miracle of Christ's uh, sinless life, his death upon a cross, his resurrection from the dead. And what I find so amazing about that isn't just the fact that he could die, that God could die, but he would die. That's amazing, isn't it? And then we move on to uh, the message on the mission, the message of the gospel going out to the world, what we were called to do as church. Our problem, our, sorry, our world has a problem. Sin is the problem. As a result, the world is a mess because of sin. And I've spent most of my working life listening to people's stories. And I know that for all of us, including myself, at times our lives are very messy. But I want to also leave today, as we talk, with hope. And as we, uh, as we look at these thoughts today, I, I want to encourage you that our lives, in spite of what we struggle with every day, God is good, God has a plan, and the plan is about a relationship with us, an intimate relationship with us. Let me pray and then we will share our reading. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you love us in spite of what you know about us. And sometimes we seek to hide things from you, but we never can. But in your grace and mercy and love, in your compassion, in your capacity to forgive, we are new creatures in you. So, Lord, as we talk about some real facts today about the way and the state of the world is in, the way we are, what state we're in, Lord, we, we pray that we might re-engage uh, re with the truth of your word and the hope that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's his name that we pray. Amen. Our reading comes from 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. In the earlier verses of this particular chapter of 1 John 1, John's already introduced the idea of light and darkness, sin and forgiveness, uh, 
And uh, and then he says these words. And and verse 8, let me repeat verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Spurgeon, an old-time preacher, never held back on saying what he really wanted to say. And I like this quote from him. Our deceitful heart reveals an almost satanic shrewdness in self-deception. That same deception that was experienced by Adam and Eve in the garden, that the same deception Satan seeks to play in our lives. Generally, not too many people I hear, just as I live within this world, that um, identify themselves as sinners. Instead, what I hear many people saying is things like, well, I sometimes make mistakes. Well, I'm not perfect, you know. Some people might think, no, sorry, David, I wasn't going there yet. Um, I'm only human. And usually these statements are made to excuse, rationalise or defend attitudes or behaviours. That's why Paul said these words in 1 Timothy 1. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he goes on to say, of whom I am the worst. There's been times in my life I've felt I could say that. The very thing that Paul expressed to this young um, leader, this young mentor that he, he looked after in the form of Timothy. God's grace and mercy are extended to sinners, not to those who make excuses, rationalise, or defend themselves. God's grace and mercy are extended to sinners. One of the uh, commentators expressed it this way. No person has ever been kept out of the kingdom of God for his confessed or her confessed badness, but many for their supposed goodness. Sin separates us from God, plain and simple. And from Genesis to Revelation, we read the scripture, sin separates us from God. And in Romans uh, 6.23, Paul says these words, For the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's plan, as Alex said, God's plan A has always been for his creation to have a relationship with him. God has pursued us. God doesn't want anybody that he's created in this world, past, present or future, not to be in a relationship with him. You see, the core of the mess is sin, our sinful nature. 
when I was a child growing up in the church, I heard um, this phrase. Sin is spelt S-I-N, and I is the centre of sin. The world revolves around Graham Jones. And selfishness is the companion of sin. Sin has many opposites. One of them, or sorry, the opposite to God is many forms of sin. But God and what is good, what comes from God, is the way that we've got to understand how do we deal with sin. And goodness is one of those nine fruits of the Spirit that we read um, that we might understand what truly is good. Not what's good in our eyes, what's good in God's eyes. To know God's word and to know what is good and his perfect, pleasing will. And Jesus in, in John 16 said these words, Sin, basically, is because people do not believe in me. Unbelief. The rejection of Jesus, which is ultimately proves one to be guilty of sin. Jesus was not an afterthought to the fall. He was always part of God's mighty plan. God, in his foreknowledge, knew what was to come. He knew the choices Graham Jones would make. He knew the choices you would make. And the times we would fall. But he had a plan. And he never wanted to or never has given up on that plan. You see, whatever we do is not good enough. Not even close. And the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, wrote these words in, in, in Isaiah 64. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are shriveled up like a leaf, and like the winds, our sins sweep us away. Our sin makes us an unclean thing. It makes us unacceptable and unworthy before God. But I'll Spurgeon, I use another one of his quotes. If our, righteousness is, if our righteousness is so bad, what must our unrighteousness be? We have little to no understanding of God's ways. Isaiah 55, we read these words. For my thoughts and sorry, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think the way we do. He's beyond our understanding. God doesn't act the way we do, even though oftentimes we expect him to act the way we want him to. And then that verse, it says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. I checked up Mr. Google, as 
many young people do all the time and I do from time to time, um, thinking how far is the uh, closest or the furthest detectable galaxy in, uh, in our whatever we call this, beyond the universe even. And it came up with um, 13.4 billion light years away. So I started to think, hmm, that's a long way away, isn't it? Sure is. Especially when I was at school, the speed of light was 186,000 miles per second, right? That's miles. So I had to equate that and say it was to kilometres. So 300,000 kilometres per second light travels. So this farthest detectable galaxy from us is 300,000 kilometres per second over a period of 13.4 billion light years. Is your head hurting? Desperately so. So, reminding me again of my finiteness and God's infiniteness. I am in awe of our God. Isaiah 40 puts it this way. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsel? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who has it? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? No one. God has great wisdom and raw intelligence. God needs no counsel, no instruction, no teacher, no one to show him the way of understanding. It is our believing that as the holy, righteous God, he cannot do wrong, make a wrong decision, or act in a way that would not be based on unconditional love for each of us, his creation. And I would guess that some of you, like me often, have questioned God. Why? The law gave me knowledge. In Romans 7 we read, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. What is now in our minds because of the law is the fact that we have the potential to understand and to act upon evil, what is wrong. As a result, I am torn between what is right and what is wrong, often. We read on further in Romans chapter 7 in, uh, from verses uh, 15 to 20, and it's summarised probably in the verse 19 quite well, where it says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. 
That is the battle so often, isn't it? That's the war that goes on inside of us. Basically, we clearly know what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is evil. And we often choose what is evil. In James 4, he says, If anyone knows, sorry, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to them. We are tempted to do evil, but seldom think of the reality that we are also tempted to not do good. Repeat that. We are tempted to do evil, but seldom think of the reality that we are also tempted not to do good. It is possible to be doing nothing wrong and still be living in sin because of what we are not doing. And this is because of the omission of good is therefore the commission of evil. The sins of omission are the right things we know we should do, but we don't do. And the sins of commission are the observable and often dramatic sins that uh, we demonstrate in our lives. It is a sin to lie, but it's also a sin not to tell the truth. See what I'm saying? The way we can manipulate, the way we can, we can be deceived, we can deceive other people, deceive ourselves. This verse, though, reinforces this truth. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Uh, a quick example I want to give to you on this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable, you might remember that there was a man journeying down the road and thieves come upon him and beat him up and robbed him. Short time later, in the parable, a priest and then separately a Levite came past and they didn't do anything that was any act of evil. They did not go to the injured man and steal something the thieves had missed. All they did was pass by on the other side and did nothing to help the man. They broke no law of the Old Testament, but they did break the law of the New Testament, which is the law of love. They did not love their neighbour as themselves. By doing nothing when they could have done good, they did evil and were guilty of sin. We all need accountability. We all need credible people in our lives. Um, and I, I guess since I was my late teens, I remember meeting with uh, two other young men, Christian men, and we would uh, meet together on a Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. I had my little uh, J.B. Phillips New Testament that I cherished at that time. I've lost since, unfortunately. And uh, we, would, we would share the Bible together. We'd pray together. We'd talk together. And even from that age, from 18 or 19 years of age, I knew how important it was for me 
to being accountable relationships with credible people. Credible people are people who love me enough to tell me the truth. I was with my companion, uh, my ministry companion during this week, David, and on the record, I paid for coffee <laughs> last time, didn't I, mate? First time. First time, okay, but I did it last time. But David reminded me of this verse in Thessalonians 5. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Or abstain from every form of evil. That might sound extreme. It's not. It's safe. It's wise. It's needed. It's godly. We need to be disciplined in such a way that we don't allow our temptations to draw us away from the faith we hold on to. In James 1, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Satan knows every chink in my armour. He knows where we are individually vulnerable and what, might, what I might be vulnerable in might not be for you and vice versa. He seeks to take over our lives and destroy us. In 1 Peter 5, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers... Sorry, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. We are not alone. Individually or even as a church, we are not alone. We battle on, and I pray, together. As I was saying a few minutes ago, back when I was in my late teens, meeting with these other couple of mates, and I... Uh, I believe that probably over the last, um, since that time, close to 50 years, I have tried very hard to be in credible relationships. In relationships that, as I said earlier, are, are relationships that allow me to be vulnerable, transparent, to be a good listener, to be open, to have somebody else speak their truth, even about me, into my life so that God's Spirit might be able to challenge me and convict me of my sin. Some of us on staff, we, uh, we were part of the um, GLS Plus on Thursday here at the church. And Kerry Newhoff was sharing, he had four sessions. In one of those sessions, he, he talked about some things that I had been working on in my life for probably 25 years now. And uh, it just reminded me, reflecting, just how... And I wanted to share it in the sermon today. I already had it prepared that way, but I, I wanted to even reinforce it more. How we 
can read scripture and learn scripture and understand life and work together. But we've got a discipline that we need to engage in in our lives. I realized a long time ago, I have to be responsible for my life. I can't blame somebody else for my attitude and my behavior. And yet I lived a lot of my life doing that, blaming others, making excuses. And, and, and what um, Kerry talked about was um, five principles. And my, I have four similar to him and I have one differently, but that doesn't matter. His are probably right more than mine. But what I, what I um, decided before, I come to live, before we moved up here to Toowoomba uh, 23 years ago, so it was a couple of years before that, I made a decision I wanted to have a clear outcome in my life. I wanted to have a clear direction that I was going, personally. <clears throat> and I decided, I'd read somebody smart, that I would make this my outcome. Simple this, and for those who have sat in my office and chatted to me, you've heard me say this before. I made a decision back then, I wanted to be a godly, healthy man. My, my, my priority, the thing that was out there in front of me that I had to and I wanted to passionately work towards. I didn't, but I could have written it up on a nice bit of paper and put it through my grandson's laminator and hung it up on the wall. It would look nice there. But I've become aware very early days that that outcome is great. But what do I do today to achieve that outcome? at some time when I die, not before I die. Okay. So I, I come up with five areas that every day I wanted to be committed to being spiritually healthy, physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, and relationally healthy. I don't want to go through all those in any great detail. But because that is my goal, and every day, in some form or shape, I try in God's strength to achieve those practical goals so that as time passes, I can get closer to my outcome. So I need credible people in my life. I need a discipline in my life to be able to say, this is where I believe God wants me to go. And these are the stepping stones I'm going to take on a daily basis to achieve that. And over all of this, God is so faithful, isn't he? Man's universal need and God's universal offer is seen in Romans 3, 23 and 24. Man's universal need, God's universal offer. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace and through the redemption that came by Jesus or by Christ Jesus. Justification can only be achieved by accepting freely God's gift, graciously bestowed upon to us through his son Jesus. It cost him his life, free gift for us. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That's a promise. One of the greatest characteristics of God is his faithfulness and the promises he makes in Scripture 
that will allow us to endure and overcome. I want to close with the, the, the verse, that 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though sin is present in our lives every day, it doesn't have to dominate us or control us. But it's there. We can find complete cleansing as we confess our sins. But we then have to keep moving forward in that confession. And confession simply means to say the same as. When we confess our sins, we are willing to say and believe the same thing about sin that God does. I'm going to pray in a minute, and then we're going to share in our baptisms with Billy and Jasmine, which will be great. But I'm going to just state the fact that if you want to come and pray with me or one of the elders, one of the ministry team after the service, you are very welcome to do that. Because God is a good God. We struggle and battle every day in our lives with the issues of sin and the messiness of this world. But God is a God of hope. And he has a plan for our lives of reconciliation and restoration. Let me pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this message doesn't leave us in despair. I pray that as we understand the facts of this world and of this life is that we are sinners saved by grace. I thank you for the hope that is in you. The tremendous hope, the victory has already been won. And as Paul said in Ephesians 2, he talked about um, it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. Not of ourselves, not anything we could do. We're never good enough by ourselves. It is your gift to us. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the, this beautiful gift of your son Jesus. We thank you and we are eternally grateful for all that you have done and all that you want to do in our lives. And we pray this prayer now in the name of Jesus. Amen.